Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest edition of Gear Gadgets and Gizmos, the show where we talk about all things disability, particularly in relation to tech and other things that disabled people use to overcome the barriers that they face in everyday life. Now, today is slightly different in that I'm talking to somebody who I've known. I'm going to ask him in a minute how long it is. But his name is Nigel Lewis, was the London Regional Director for Fujitsu Services before he joined an organisation called AbilityNet as their CEO in 2007. His career actually began in software development, and he's since worked in many aspects of IT services over the years. AbilityNet is a charity specialising in assistive technology and making technology accessible for all, especially disabled people. And during his time at AbilityNet, he saw massive changes in IT and other enabling devices and software. And we'll get into some of that. He once described tech as the great enabler, which would benefit excluded groups. And since leaving AbilityNet in 2020, he has worked for another charity providing employment for disabled people. And since May 2021, Nigel allegedly retired, but he is now the interim CEO for two charities, one a small natural history museum and the other a charity that provides equipment for disabled children and support for their families. So welcome. Welcome to Nigel. It's great to see you again and thank you for joining me today. How are you doing? Thanks, Phil. I'm doing really well on this actually sunny but chilly day. Um, Yeah, it's great to see you again. It's been a while. Autumn is upon us, is it not? It is, uh, yeah. Okay, well, obviously, I think the the two places we really need to start before we get perhaps open up and talk about other things is, um, I, uh, my understanding is you're not a disabled person yourself, but maybe no. that's changed. Well, I'm getting you. older, though, so yeah. <laughs> you're getting, but you spent all of the time I've known you working around the field of disability. But, but what was it or what is it that makes that, really where you want to spend your time the disability issue stuff yeah so um you probably know this but for the audience i have a very severely disabled son so uh, who is nearly 37 um goodness me uh, so he was born disabled um he's he he's he's very severely uh, disabled cerebral palsy can't see because of his brain injury can't move etc so early on realized that you know technology can help him in in just helping him to enjoy his life um and so that's i guess really where my true disability journey and passion started with him um and how how it affects his day-to-day life what was the first can you remember then you know tech helped him what what thing you recall all those years, all those 37 years ago <laughs> <laughs> well we didn't quite start 37 years ago but there is a there's a there was an amazing piece of technology in it and uh it might be a bit of a surprise it was a it was basically a, a wooden platform right. that he could lay on and you could hook it in to a switch and music and lights and it would vibrate and he loved it so oh. it at that time when he could still move his head with purpose he could turn his head and hit a switch and it would set off some lights or some music and it would trigger the vibrating bed and that feedback and interaction uh, he just loved it it would make him smile and giggle and it was it was beautiful uh, it's fabulous isn't it i mean it is 
some of the tech that we talk about on this show actually is incredibly low tech. You know, it's mm. not mega bucks and stuff. Although that at the time was probably quite innovative, <laughs> wasn't it? Back in the it, day, it was, and it was probably you know, and joining it up, and you know, you will have experienced it, and and lots of people who listen to this podcast will have probably experienced the the joining up of the different bits of tech that nobody has ever thought about to join a head switch with a piece of music to a vibrating wooden bed who'd have ever thought that and figured yeah. out how to do that got their soldering line actually. out <laughs> yeah you might enjoy it <laughs> okay so okay so that explains the first bit your passion comes from yes. personal experience as a dad and and obviously mm. now he's a, a a grown adult but still very dependent on you and your family i'm guessing for what he gets and what he needs um yeah so that takes you to ability net now i know about ability net it's one of my favorite organizations the charity and in many ways a lot of my reason for liking it so much comes because i've known you there and all the work you did but just explain to our listeners a bit about ability i know you haven't been there for a while but, but you know i haven't yeah no i haven't been there for uh, i left in 2017 so five years um but for me i mean what what took me is you know that passion for disability and and my previous career was in technology so I worked in IT for 25 years uh, delivering IT um, and you know I got to this point in my career where I wanted to do something more meaningful and so this job uh, popped up advertised um, for a CEO and ability is this was for me it was it was a job made in heaven this beautiful mix of technology and supporting disabled people so AbilityNet exists to make the world of technology more accessible and more inclusive for disabled people. And I'd also say for other people, predominantly older people as well. So we've all experienced the frustration of trying to use technology. And so how to make the websites, the mobile apps, the applications and the physical technology itself more accessible for anybody but especially people with disabilities that's that's their mission that they've been around to deliver for over 30 years now um and that landscape has changed hugely uh, over that time even when i was with them for 11 years um you know from what they were doing to what we ended up doing and what i see that they're doing today um is incredible and they started, I think, didn't they? IBM, didn't IBM fund the initial startup kind of thing? Yeah, so um, the I IBM and the BCS, the British Computer Society, were two of the original corporate trustees um, and, and Microsoft as well. So helped fund them, give them premises, give them access to technology, real a real support to a charity that, you know, you, you can't underestimate how useful and beneficial that was um, and still I assume is I'm not involved in the kind of governance and anything obviously anymore but yeah um, I mean what it's a beautiful symmetry in a way because they start off doing that helping the charity grow and develop and where where it where it is now, or what, um, as far as I'm aware, still is now, is part of its mission, of course, is to help disabled people get into work so that they can use technology in the commercial commercial world. And, of course, IBM and Microsoft and the others 
all have a vested interest in attracting talent. So it's a it's a nice synergy. But now, of course, it's um, as you say, it's it's been an incredible journey over the last thirty years. What we've seen go on, and I suppose that leads to thinking about in your time there, what two three things do you think really transformed the landscape for from a tech point of view for design people in whatever way, be it yeah. vibrating beds or. You know. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So this is obviously going to be my personal view of what I think. I think for me, I think some of the really major step forwards was the mobile revolution and apps. And that might sound a bit odd, but that revolution in, um, the app mobile market had a tremendous impact into the provision of assistive technology for people. So it it broadened what was available and it really changed the cost basis. You, Phil, will know um, how costly assistive technology was, and, and some of it can still be uh, quite expensive, you know, if you need even you know, look at powered wheelchairs or something, they can be hideously expensive. But if you look at um, eye gaze, you know, and eye tracking in order to be able to use technology, it was probably £20,000 a system when I started. And now it's probably hundreds of pounds. Um, so that has revolutionized how people thought about the provision of technology. And it, it kind of put it into bite-sized, simple chunks. So that was one thing I think has been truly transformational. I think I would say the second thing is um, what I would say is mainstreaming technology, as in embedding it into the operating systems, the gadgets that we buy. And I think there's been, you know, Apple was leading the way, obviously, with their inbuilt. Microsoft have now done a huge step up. And with things like Alexa, Google Home, Etc. What's built in the box and built into the applications for transcribing uh, voice into text, etc. That again has done a major step forward in um, improving the accessibility uh, for disabled people. And the third thing that I'm going to pick on, which isn't really tech. Um, and it's, it's often got me into a lot of trouble saying this, so here we go again, <laughs> is, um, is, is if you like, and this is not meant to be derogatory to anybody working in the accessibility world, but is providing a framework of professionalizing though for people who do work so that they have um, the credentials and the structure and the symmetry of how to make things accessible through the IAAP, the International Accessibility Association of Professionals. Um, and it's, sorry, and it, you know, it's like, you know, becoming a Microsoft professional, you can become an accessibility professional. I'm interested in this, as I know you are, because back in those days, certainly early days, there was no thought at all about making things accessible. They, you know, no. Microsoft Word was Microsoft Word or whatever it was. Yeah. Apple, as you rightly say, led the way. But I think you and I spent an awful lot of time trying to convince people to write software that actually built in. And mm. the professionals who were doing that didn't seem to get it, did they, somehow? 
No, no, they they certainly didn't because it wasn't on. It wasn't a business agenda. Right. And I think this is what I mean about mainstreaming as well. Is you know, if you were in an organisation um, who were writing an app or a product or whatever it might be, back in the day, um, accessibility was not part of the design process. You know, it wasn't even thought about when the marketing department thought, let's have one of these things. So there's been a move in that direction. And it's not just the technology people that need to understand accessibility. It's the business people um, of when you are going to build a new product, design a new app, change your website, create literature, documents, whatever it might be that we use um, your even your processes like recruitment we we touched on about recruitment you've got to bake in accessibility and inclusion right up front and i think that landscape it has changed but it's still got a long way to go yeah i mean there used to be an old adage didn't they that you know as we develop new technologies so we disabled more people um, yes. A blind person following a plow horse was one thing, but working in a factory, if you couldn't see the machinery, was quite another. And it, and the same is true of tech. You know, I think particularly we have a lot of people on this show who've got major sight impairments of one sort or another who've come to rely hugely on the technology now that's available to them. But mm. many of them also talk about how they're disabled by it because they can't. Yeah. Know, it hasn't been designed properly or inclusively and it's not it's not rocket science this stuff and if you do it up front like anything else you would design as well you'd hope you design a system with security in mind and not always but most of the time you would hope now <clears throat> that we would design a system that's inclusive and accessible for the widest audience possible yeah whether that with sight loss hearing loss learning um, anxiety, mental health, whatever it might be, you know, we need to be thinking of that broad audience because it's a massive audience. Yes, yeah, sure. I, I suppose <clears throat> could part of the defence of the industry be, I know it certainly was in the early days, that we just didn't have the, the memory or the speed or the sophistication in the chips. Yeah. Those, those kinds of excuses yeah. probably are no longer there. The processing power of my oh. wristwatch is God knows what, you know, the old first Sinclairs. Do you remember the first? Yeah, Sinclair? I do. Yes. Uh, yeah, I do. And the BBC Micro and all those sorts of things. There's things. probably more processing power in your washing machine or your fridge yeah. than those days. The, no, the technology is not an excuse. Okay. There's, you know, um, there's there's enough CPU, there's enough memory, there's enough everything, um, and there's enough tech that exists in order to deliver this stuff. Um, it's it's more about the will, the knowledge, and the understanding yep. of people and organisations um, to make it happen. You know, there's there's great examples of, and you will know this, Phil, about you know organisations have been made to change their mindset by one or two really dedicated people within them who are willing to potentially stake their careers sometimes because they're willing to stand up and go, this is not right. This We cannot do this. It's not just, it's not right. Um, to 
further, if you like, disable the most vulnerable within our society because we're not willing to just include this. And it's not hard if you do it up front. It's not more time-consuming. Um, and often it makes life simpler for everybody, you know? An accessible solution is a good solution for everyone. It's not just for the disabled people. Yeah, yeah. No, that's that's absolutely true. I, I, I often use as an example, you don't see too many people walking through a door they have to open themselves if there's an automatic door right next to it. Correct. Yeah, was, I do it all the time. Press the button, you know. Chance, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, I know that you're still very much involved in the world of disability. Clearly you are through your son, but, but mm. you're also doing the work you're doing with another charity now as you're allegedly retired. Um, you're clearly not <laughs> yeah. rubbish. Um, yeah. So you're still in touch, obviously. So thinking, what are the, the, the challenges then that we still need to confront? What are the sort of two, three things that come to your mind when you think about we've come an enormous distance mm. got so much better than they used to be we can't argue that yeah but there are still some really difficult things going on that don't appear to have shifted or maybe they're new because of the technology we've got what was your thinking around that um so i don't know whether there's anything new because it's very rare that you actually find anything new i think it's probably just the scale of it and the pace of it so i think there's still fundamentally a lot of organizations and a lot of people out there that still don't understand or even know about the argument of accessibility. So it's not that people go out of their way to design or build an access inaccessible solution, whether that's a website, an app, a process, a service. It's, is so they just don't know that they should be doing it. And I think that is still one of the big fundamental challenges that exist. I still meet loads of people. I still talk to loads of people who just don't understand that we should be doing this, you know, 20 years on um, in, in this agenda. And that, that is a, a real fundamental issue because how can you expect people to deliver these solutions if they don't know about it. So we've got to fix the awareness, you know, and I, I used, when I presented a lot on this stuff, I always equated it to the, the issue about climate change. You know, if you go back to the seventies and eighties, there were probably a few people who were talking about climate change and now we all get it. We all understand it. Not necessarily. There are still people that don't agree with it bizarrely, but there you go. That's their choice. But every if you asked anybody about climate change, they could tell you about it. If you asked people about accessibility of technology, very, I, I still think very few people could actually give you a great answer unless you were in a conference about accessibility. So I think that's still a fundamental barrier to providing good, inclusive solutions. I think we still have this... Um, and it's increasing in a way because the tech's moving so fast about the knowledge and the willingness and this overcoming the scariness of technology. And I think, um, you know, the skill base is still a, a massive issue for people. And I think that's accelerated because if one thing COVID has done, it's driven pretty much everything online. I, you know, I had my, I had to go to the doctors for the first, well, I didn't go to the doctors. I had my first telephone consultation with the doctor. Um, 
and I was offered a video consultation. So if you're not comfortable or want to use the tech, then I think that's a massive, massive barrier. Um, and I think, you know, we, we've always had this conversation about, you know, uh, or there's been this thought about, well, you know, the older generation, bless them, will die off and the younger generation will take their place, but they'll be used to tech. Um, and I'm probably part of that older generation about to die off now. But actually, the tech is changing. And actually, some of the new tech is probably becoming scary for me. So it's this ongoing issue of how do we, how do we make, um, how do we make people comfortable with and and have the skill set to be able to use the technology that's available for them. And then I think the last thing is it, it still comes down to access to the technology. You know, uh, people can't avoid necessarily afford to buy it it moves so quickly and everything goes out of date and it's not supported anymore or you know your mobile phone slows down because it's five years old and you can't hardly get it to do anything it's how do people maintain the access to the technology that will enable their lives i can't think of anything to add to that i mean i think <laughs> accessibility conversation i'm struck by how you and i when we first met all those years ago yeah still staggered that we have to have the same conversation yeah. you know it, I, I, yeah i go to the same meetings and very often you're sitting there thinking hang on a minute, yeah you didn't yeah. know this stuff well you and i have been in the same meetings with um with the clients you know having this conversation with new people that have come to the table and we're still asking the same question so you know did you design in accessibility into this app have you tested it to um ensure that it has a level of accessibility and inclusion and you know it's a bit depressing in a way because we are having those same conversations you're also somebody that at any meeting i've been at will be one of the first to remind everybody that not everybody can use this stuff not everybody can afford this mm. just mention that as well um and that there are a lot of people and i do mean a lot of people we're talking million million two mm. million people who, for whatever reason, maybe cost, maybe skill, maybe accessibility, can't use this stuff. And I know you're very concerned about how do we keep them included. So we're back, in a sense, to your son and his board. You know, it's a low-tech world. <laughs> yes. It's a world in which tech is low-tech, but it's still really important. Your son's yeah. board was vital to him at that point. Yeah. What, what's your thought if, if you've got any thoughts now as you look at the landscape but how do we keep engaged people who are suspicious of this stuff or just simply can't use it for whatever reason i think we mustn't forget that you know if you like the tried and tested technology that people are used to so the telephone you know the good old-fashioned telephone um for those you know there will be some people that can't use it but for you know and the we shouldn't we can't forget the face-to-face -face as well you know people like to go and meet other people and discuss so whether that's walking into a shop or going into maybe your local authority uh office or whatever it is that personal interaction i think because we've and I think this is what has really accelerated, you know, over the last two years with COVID is it's really hard to meet anybody. 
it's or talk to anybody you know it's all gone online it's all chat with robots it's all of this and i think um, there is an essence of we've lost that personal touch and especially for people disabled people older people i think that ability to have the time i did something today because i've just got a new phone and i had i had a code sent to me to re-enable an app and it said this code is only valid for 45 seconds and i think if i ha if i had a learning difficulty or or a dexterity difficulty you know I'll be forever pressing the refresh button because it wouldn't. I wouldn't be able to get to it within forty-five seconds. So, yeah, we're we're losing the personal touch, and I think that really, really worries me. And we need to try and keep that balance somehow. It's 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 that. Um, I don't know how much ability net now does it. It certainly used to do it, and I've used it a lot. Was the old newsletter? So the personal touch and and using in quote, old tech, like a biro on a paper, might just the way to do it for some Yeah, people. for some people, you know, and it's not maybe what people want to do, but um, it's what's necessary. I know one thing that Bulletin still does is they, they have a group of volunteers, tech volunteers, who go into people's homes to help them solve their problems. Because I think that's the other issue, isn't it? You know, when your tech goes wrong and, and you're not working for a company who you could turn to for a bit of private support, is who do you turn to who helps you? Because, you know, uh, I've used tech all my career and I still get frustrated and challenged by where my technology goes wrong. So if you're not used to it, where do you go? And I know that there are other, you know, other charities out there that provide that invaluable support for people you know because yeah how often does the damn thing not work as it did yesterday because something's happened or you've forgotten or you you know it's changed without you realizing yeah and i think i mean i mean as we draw our conversation to a close it's interesting where we've ended up isn't it which is where you and i both sit on a group that bt used to think about what they're doing and how they're developing how they maintain a real um accessible input for disabled people and other customers. And, and one of the things they've been talking a lot about with us is somebody calling at your house and coming in and fixing it for you. Yes. <laughs> Which is what you're have. talking about. Yeah. And in many ways, if you are using high-tech stuff, you don't have to know how it works. If there's somebody you can call to come in and just fix yeah. it. Yeah. If you don't have a son or a daughter or a family member. Yeah. It's yeah. interesting, isn't it? So for all the tech, where have we arrived? We've finished, I think, Nigel, let's say, yeah. that for all the world we live in, which is fantastic without doubt, mm. uh, yeah. for those of us that can use it and afford it. Yeah. That. yeah. But there is a real place still for that human-to-human -human conversation, which um, perhaps yeah. we've lost sight of. Yeah, absolutely. The the human contact and the, and the friendly face who can help you when you need it most. Well, there you are. What a lovely place to end this conversation. Nigel, I'm really grateful to you. Thank you very much. I know you've got 53 charities to go and run in a minute, so we'll <laughs> let you do that. Uh, but always a pleasure. So thank no, you very much indeed. No, thank you, Phil. It's been, it's been a pleasure and an honour to be able to do this. Really appreciate it. If you'd like to share your stories about how you use technology to overcome some of the barriers that your disability puts in your way, then please contact me at brinkburn at gmail.com 
or you can look up the Research Institute for Disabled Consumers details on their website, which is ridc.org.uk. Thanks very much, and I look forward to hearing from you.